So Nityananda Chandra Prabhu asked that we come up with some kind of topic or um, yeah, topic for discussion tonight, but I actually didn't come up with a topic because I just felt like I just wanted to like kind of sit and see where everybody's at and what we might want to discuss tonight. So maybe we can start by introducing ourselves. Uh, I'm Bali. Bali. Okay. I'm Carrick. Derek? Carrick. Carrick with a K. Yes, like Derek with a K. Okay, Carrick. I'm Sham Gopal. Das. Sham Gopal Das. Sham Gopal. 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 I'm Bobo. Bobo. Uh huh. B O P O. B O B O. Oh, I'm sorry. Bobo G. Bobo. And this is my daughter, Valerie. Valerie. Nice to meet you. How old are you? Six. Wow, six. <laughs> Big girl. Aaron. Aaron. Larry. Larry. And I know Chandra Baga. <laughs> and we met uh, looking at Chandra's children already. And just FYI, Mother Chandra Baga here is not the sister. Oh, yes. Well, I was gonna say, you know what? I was gonna say Many people. Where I don't know, I meet people different places. They're like, "Are you Chandra Baga's sister?" Oh, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it would be nice though. I saw you at the temple. Yes, you did, Karen. You scared you me. <laughs> you saw me at the temple. I closed the lights on you. Yeah, I was going up to show the off bedroom, and she turned the lights off, and I didn't know he was there. I didn't know he was there, and I turned the lights off, and all of a sudden it was dark. So you were all afraid of the dark. I'm not, I'm, it was just random. I didn't know. Yeah, it came by surprise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a, something else that's going to come by surprise someday. <laughs> so, um, has everyone here read at least a part of Bhagavad Gita? Who here hasn't really gotten so into reading Bhagavad Gita yet? familiar with the Bhagavad Gita book? I have like um, the kindergarten version of it. It's like condensed and it's really oh. easy to understand. Okay. okay. Yeah. Just, There's so many, many editions. Yeah. I just got to read this It's Aaron. 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 Yes, ma'am. I have read some of the beginning and I went on one and did an audio version. <laughs> okay. I found it a little easier for me. Uh-huh. So do it that way. Uh-huh. And Larry? Okay. Um, um, Bhagavad Gita has been translated into English like hundreds of times, actually. It is such a classic book. And the problem with having hundreds of translations, as you can imagine, is which one are you supposed to read? Right? You go to the bookstore or the library, there's like a whole shelf of them, and it just puts you on the mental platform, which one to read. So um, that you'll find some that are very short, some that are longer because of commentary being put in. So anyway, um, Bhagavad Gita, our spiritual master, Srila Prabhupada, picture on that book right there in the middle. Srila Prabhupada translated Bhagavad Gita, and he called it Bhagavad Gita as it is. We have a copy. And he called it Bhagavad Gita as it is. Bhagavad Gita means, what does Bhagavad Gita mean? Do you know? 
The word Gita means song. Song. And Bhagavad means referring to the Supreme Person. So Bhagavad Gita basically means song of God. Why is it called the song of God? Because it was spoken by Lord Krishna to Arjuna in the Sanskrit language and very poetic and rhythmic and it was indeed sung. It was so beautiful. You know? Usually people think high philosophy is going to be really dry and, you know, difficult. But this was very... The more, actually, the higher the philosophy, the more beautiful and poetic it should be. So anyway, so Bhagavad Gita is that song of God. So, um, Prabhupada named his Bhagavad Gita as it is, meaning as Krishna spoke it to Arjuna 5,000 years ago, not as like a academician or a scholar interprets it, but as it's been handed down through a chain called disciplic succession. Guru teaches the disciple, who then becomes proficient and then turns and teaches the next disciple who becomes proficient and then comes and teaches the next disciple. So what exactly is this Bhagavad Gita? Um, we'll look at the first chapter. So there's this personality named Arjuna. Are you familiar with the personality Arjuna? So he's a state warrior. That's his occupation. I bet nobody here is a, a warrior by occupation, right? We all have some occupation, whether it's at home or in, in the office or at school or something. But Arjuna's occupation was that he was a state warrior. That's a pretty heavy-duty job. And he's been to war many times. He's like an acclaimed warrior. And today he's going to war, business as usual. He's going to the battlefield. And now you have to remember, uh, wars were fought in what's called a dharmic or religious way back then. Namely, there was a designated battlefield. Just like I remember when I grew up, I had three older brothers, and they had these, well, at least a couple of them played on these uh, these war games, like armies, you know? They'd set up army on this side, set up an army on that side, and they'd fight through like a playboard, you know? So uh, battles were like that, wars were like that. They went to a battlefield. They didn't just like drop bombs in urban areas where civilians and women and children would be killed. So anyway, so here's Arjuna, he goes to war today, and there's one big, army on that side, and then there's one huge army on this side that he's a part of, and everybody is ready to start the battle. How did they, you know, like when you start a, a game, like, I don't know, a football game or something, some kind of game, they blow a whistle, right? Mm -hmm. boop, boop. Game starts. So they blew conch shells. So it's just, you know, time for the war to begin. And just as the war is about to begin, Arjuna freezes. 
And what's, what's on the chariot with Arjuna? Krishna. Krishna, Lord Krishna, is playing the role of Arjuna's charioteer. So Arjuna's got his bow and arrows. He's all ready to fight, or everybody's ready to fight. Krishna's, you know, being the charioteer for his chariot. And Arjuna says, stop! Push the pause button. And all of a sudden, the whole battlefield is frozen. And Arjuna says to Krishna, he, well, he starts crying. He's like this big macho warrior, you know? And right there on the battlefield, he breaks out in tears. And he starts crying. And he starts shaking. And he starts, his hairs are standing on end. And his voice is choking up. He can't hardly speak. And he drops his bow and arrows. And he tells Krishna, I can't fight this war. And Krishna just looks at him like, what's wrong with you today? What's up? And Arjuna explains that he's having a complete anxiety attack. Have you ever had an anxiety attack? It's like painful, right? It's like like a knife is like in your heart. Your body is like shaking, right? It's pretty scary. Yeah, it's pretty scary. It's like something out of your control. It just happens. So Arjuna is having an anxiety attack. And Krishna basically asks him, what's the problem? And Arjuna says, I can't fight this war because look, look at the other army. See what's over there? What? What's over there? I see relatives on the other in the other army. I see friends. Right? I see family members. I, I see teachers that I teachers that I had in the past. How in the world am I supposed to shoot my deadly arrows to family members and friends and teachers? And he just breaks down crying like that. So Krishna and Arjuna, Krishna's just kind of looking at Arjuna, trying to size up what's going on, you know? And Arjuna starts offering different arguments why he shouldn't fight. It's not proper to kill family members. We would agree with that argument, wouldn't we? Fair enough. That's fair enough. When thou shalt not kill family members, you know. (laughs) Um, But Krishna just kind of, yeah, whatever. He doesn't really accept that as a really great argument. And Arjuna's offering all these arguments. And then Krishna says, Arjuna, are you done with your arguments? He's like, yeah, I ran out of arguments. And I still haven't been able to solve my problem, whether I should fight or whether I should not fight. And he says, Krishna, I can't figure out what to do. Have you ever been in that situation? Whether it's something 
seemingly small or something seemingly major in life when you just can't figure out what to do. Should I choose door number one or door number two? Right? Option A or option B. And you're just bewildered. So in that state of bewilderment, Arjuna approached Krishna in a very humble mood and said, Krishna, I accept you as my spiritual master. Could you please instruct me what to do? Because I cannot figure it out. So as soon as Arjuna does that, you know, accepts Krishna as his teacher, Krishna takes the liberty to be heavy with him. And he says, Arjuna, you know what your problem is? I can pinpoint it in a moment. You know what your problem is? You don't know who you are. And Arjuna says, what do you mean I don't know who I am? I'm Arjuna, the son of Pandu. I'm, I'm a, a prince. I'm a state warrior. And, you know, these are my family members over here, and this, that, and the other. And Krishna says, no, no, no. You do not know who you are. You are suffering from a very common disease. <laughs> called identity crisis. So Krishna points out this identity crisis problem that Arjuna is suffering from. When Arjuna identifies himself as a family man, which he is, when he identifies himself as a family man, he cannot shoot his arrows, because those are families and friends over there. But when he identifies himself as a state warrior, which he is, then he is more than obliged to shoot those arrows. Just like, let's say you are a police officer, and some Big crime has just happened in the city. There's, you get the call, you know, big crime, theft, murder, you know, all this stuff's going on, violence. So you run and you, you go to that place because you're on call. So the police officer goes to the place and let's, let's catch the criminal. Ah, there's the criminal. And, you know, it's dark. You can't really see the criminal, but ah, you captured the criminal. And then, you bring the criminal into the light, and all of a sudden you recognize, oh, the criminal, you know, who's guilty of murder and all these things, he's my son. He's my biological son. Now what do you do? As a police officer, it's your duty to handcuff that guy and throw him in jail. But as a parent, well, you've got a conflict of interest there because the parent wants to protect the child from, you know, danger. And even if they did something wrong, they always want to protect them. Oh, my kid didn't do anything wrong, right? You don't have to punish him. So like that, Krishna says to Arjuna, you're having an identity crisis. Because when you identify as a family man, it's clear that you should go AWOL. 
you should even fight this war. And that's what Arjuna was saying. I'm going AWOL. I'm out of here. I'm just going to go to the forest and meditate. But then he would be like a ping pong ball back and forth. No, no, I should stay here and do my duty. So Krishna said, when you identify as a family man, you rightly want to go AWOL. But then a microsecond later, you toggle over to here, and you identify yourself as a state warrior, and then you're ready to fight. So you're just going to be like a ping pong ball going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Don't we all have situations in our life, whether small or big, that we almost have like this conflict of interest? Yeah. Okay, you're a student, and you've got a big exam tomorrow, like a really important exam tomorrow that you must study for. But your friends invite you out to, you know, go party or something. Well, there's a conflict of interest right there. If I choose to go out with my friends, then I can't study for my exam, and then I'm going to suffer because I'm not going to do well on my exam. Or if I identify myself more as a student than I do as a friend of these people, then I'll stay home and study for my exam. But now, oh, my friends are sad because I didn't, you know, satisfy them and go to the birthday party or whatever. We all have this conflict going on at every moment. So we tend to prioritize. Well, you know, I can always go out with my friends next week. I should study for my exam tonight. We tend to prioritize. But those two interests are always in conflict. There's not just two interests. There's many interests that are in conflict. We're making it simple by keeping it to two. So Krishna basically, in so many words, through 18 chapters then, um, explains to Arjuna that this conflict within the mind, what to do, what not to do, will never be solved unless and until we understand what our real identity is. How long can I say I'm a state warrior, or that I'm a student at this school, or that I'm an employee at this company, or that I'm a citizen of such and such country, or how long can I hold on to those identities? So Krishna describes to Arjuna, you have a higher identity. And when you come to that platform of recognizing that higher identity, then all other you know, duties and identities become harmonized. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, They become resolved. All the contradictions become resolved. So what Krishna tells Arjuna then is that in this world, nobody can be free of this anxiety and this ignorance of identity crisis. And therefore, one must take to the path of spiritual self-realization. And he explains to Arjuna that just as we wear clothing, like this week it's a little chilly in Dallas. So you wear 
your clothes, and then you wear some outer clothes, like a sweater, and then you might wear another layer, like a jacket. You wear different layers, the underclothes and the overclothes. So Krishna says, like that, you are actually an eternal, blissful, spiritual entity. But you, being in the material world, are wearing layers of covering. And it's compared to two layers. The first layer is the subtle or astral body made of mind and intelligence and ego. And then the outer layer is the gross body, which is made of you know the bones and the blood and the hair and the skin and all our physical body. So he tells Arjuna, these bodies, both subtle and gross, are constantly changing, right? Didn't you used to have a two-month-old body? You don't remember, but your mother remembers that you had a two-month-old body. Then you had a two-year-old body. Then you had a 20-year-old body. Well, maybe not for you yet, only six-year-old body so far. But I bet you used to have a one-year-old body and a two-year-old body, right? So where are those bodies? Where'd they go? Someday you'll have an 88-year-old body. Where are, so the body's constantly changing, just like we change our dress. Today, you know, you wear an orangey-colored sweater. Tomorrow you might wear purple. Next day, blue. Next day, black. Changing your dress, but you remain the same person. So Krishna is explaining like that to Arjuna, you're constantly changing your body, therefore you're constantly changing your identity. And how can we be peaceful in this world when our identity is changing at every moment? So Krishna speaks the Bhagavad Gita to Arjuna to awaken Arjuna to his true identity, which is a spiritual and eternal identity which is an identity that never changes, it never takes birth, it never grows old, and it never dies. <laughs> and when we are, that's called self-realization. Self-realization means, the full-blown definition of self-realization means to know that spiritual identity of myself, which we all have in me. It's, it's common in the sense that it's the same quality, but it's unique in that you're a unique soul. You're, you are eternally a unique spirit soul. You're a unique spirit soul. And Larry, you're a unique spirit soul. We're all a unique spirit souls. So Krishna takes the 18 chapters of Bhagavad Gita to explain the science of self-realization which will be the only solution to Arjuna's predicament. So this is a very important book. Um, Arjuna's having an existential crisis right there on the battlefield. And he asks many, so the whole book is Krishna and Arjuna, questions and answers, questions and answers. And Arjuna asks many good questions. And Krishna, of course, gives perfect answers. So, um, Spiritual life begins when we have an existential crisis, when we start asking questions, 
Who am I? Why am I here? Why am I suffering? Why am I experiencing problems? Is there a solution to this predicament? Your pet dog can't do that, right? Your pet cat can't do that. But the human can ask questions. So the Bhagavad Gita is so wonderful because Arjuna asks all the questions we should be asking and Krishna provides the answers. So when you do get time, yes, there's many Bhagavad Gitas out there that are very short and, you know, that's nice. You can read whatever Bhagavad Gita is, but please also get Bhagavad Gita as it is by Srila Prabhupada because he shows all the original Sanskrit language, how it's brought to English, and then he gives a full explanation to each of the texts. So it looks like a daunting task to read 800 pages, but actually Srila Prabhupada's making it easier for us by giving the explanations. So professors say this is the best edition of Bhagavad Gita in English, and they actually use it in coursework around the country. So we invite you to you know, take up that course in your own life, because that's the solution to all our problems is self-realization. So I, I don't want to go on too long. Maybe we can see we could, maybe we could share any kind of thoughts or realizations or questions or what have you. And that's David Key? No. Vishaka. Vishaka. And your sister's? David Key. David Key. Okay, Vishaka. I, that. Um, I want to read the Bhagavad Gita because I want to challenge myself to read it in three days because I read an 830 book, pay, um, book in three days. Really? Nice. So when are you going to start? Never. Find one. I need to find it. I know I have it somewhere here. Mm -hmm. Oh, right here. Right here. <laughs> here you go. Your father has a copy right here. <laughs> Maybe, um, don't you, do you get like a week off at Thanksgiving time from school? So you don't have homework or anything? I do. You'll have a little homework. So. Anyway, that might be a good time. That's just in two weeks, right? You might be able to find three days. That's what I did when I first read this Bhagavad Gita as it is. It was completely new to me. I could not even pronounce the title. You know? <laughs> I, I, seriously, when I actually, when I first saw this book, I didn't even know it was in English. I just thought, why, do these, why is there this foreign language book you know, somebody was offering me? And I, I just seriously didn't even know it was in English. I couldn't pronounce the title, never heard of it. And anyway, I decided to read it. And when I started to read it, I was really confused. Because, oh, the first chapter sets the scene on the battlefield. Many people think, oh, it's, why is the first chapter important? Krishna doesn't even speak until the second chapter. So people think, oh, we don't need to read the first chapter. Just go right to the second chapter where Krishna starts answering Arjuna. <laughs> but the first chapters really interesting because it sets the mood on the battlefield and you see a bunch of names of people you can't pronounce <laughs> and that's what like I was like what you know is that, what is this <clears throat> so you see a bunch of names of people that you can't pronounce but you see it sets up the scene like you see how Arjuna 
you know, comes to that point of just having a total anxiety attack right there on the battlefield. And it, it lets you feel his emotions, you know? And when chapter one ends and you start <laughs> chapter two, that's when our Arjuna totally breaks down. He's finished all his arguments. He's shaking like a leaf and he just drops his bow and arrows and says, I cannot fight this war. And then he turns to Krishna and he says, I can't solve my predicament. Could you please help me, please? And that's when the Bhagavad Gita for the rest of the 18 chapters is, you know, Krishna addressing Arjuna. So anyway, so I did that when I first started reading Bhagavad Gita. I couldn't understand what I was reading. I couldn't pronounce the people's names. There were concepts that I wasn't accustomed to. I was just like, whoa, what's going on? But I did like that. I read in two or three days. I just said, let me just read it. Let me just get all the words through. You know, so I finished the 800 pages. And then I said, okay, now i got to start from the beginning again. And, you know. One interesting thing about this book is that we can actually prove that this is not a material book, that it's a spiritual book. You know why? Pick any mundane book, your favorite novel, mystery, science fiction, textbook, I don't care what. Just pick your favorite book. Harry Potter. How many times can you read the same volume over and over again? It's going to get to the point where you're like, okay, man, I've read it 12 times, put it aside, you know? You'll just like grow out of it, especially if it's a children's book, you'll grow out of it. But Bhagavad Gita, you don't grow out of it. And every time you read it, you're going to be like, did I read that before? Because you're going to get a whole new layer of understanding which is proof that it's not a mundane book. So why is it that when the second time, the third time, the 20th time, the 50th time, we read Bhagavad Gita, we feel like it's a new book, like I get a new meaning? Because every time you read Bhagavad Gita, your consciousness becomes purified. Because it's spiritual. Your consciousness becomes purified. So that means the next time you read Bhagavad Gita, you're a new person. It's not the same person reading it because you've been purified. So this is the book for self-realization. So it's like stripping away those layers. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why we chant Hare Krishna. The mantra, you meditate on the mantra, and by meditating on the mantra, the Hare Krishna mantra cleanses the heart of all the unwanted things in there. Lust, anger, greed, envy, whatever. Crazy ideas that we have. Anxiety, fear. Every time we chant Hare Krishna attentively, it cleanses, cleanses, cleanses. And that's why we don't stop chanting Hare Krishna. Chanting the same mantra for 35 years, you don't get bored of it. You know? So thank you, Vishaka, for bringing that up. We look forward to getting a report, your book report, after you read it in three days. <laughs> what else? Anybody else like to share something? Or 
I'll share a story. Okay. So my I listen to anything I can find on YouTube that's Krishna related. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten to where I can kind of pick out ones that really like appeal to me, you know. Mm-hmm. And any hoozy. Um my my mom found out that I've been coming to Darshan Room like two weeks ago, I think. Oh. She found out. Yeah, and she's a non-practicing Baptist. (laughs) But she was like, I think that's beautiful. She's like, they're so peaceful. And I love that. And I go, well, you should come with me to Darshan Room. And she was like, well, she babysits my niece on Wednesday, so she really can't get here on time. I said, well, you can come with me to Temple one Sunday, because I need to go more often anyway. And so she's going to. Long story short, though, Sunday, I went with her to get her, her fingernails done, and I was playing Giovanni Harrison. Is that how you say it? And my mom was singing the Maha Mantra. mantra. <laughs> she liked it. She was singing in she the She sang along. Yeah. Wow. I was like, just yes. nice. It's just made my heart so happy because it was like you would never think in a million years. Because she's perceiving that your coming here is making you happy, making you a better person. So she's like, whoa, this is a good thing. Yeah. You can invite her to college junkies for lunch or dinner. <laughs> so it was great. <laughs> That's really nice. Okay. I, guess, I guess I'll share. Uh, I'll share. Uh, so I've been practicing this for the past few months. Nice. I've been learning a lot and honestly, growing up in the way that I did, Christian background, being a preacher, and then completely doing away with it all because Christianity didn't make any sense to me. Um, doing this, and the certain things that you said, it made me realize a lot. When I chant Hare Krishna, you know, I constantly chant it when I'm at work or when I'm by myself or if I wake up in the morning and I, you know, if I want to, I'll, I'll grab my beads and then I'll start chanting as well and I'll start going around. I, like you, I started noticing there's certain things that I've left my desire like I'll be honest like uh, I smoked marijuana mm-hmm. and I haven't had any desire to like pick it up at all mm-hmm. like, there's certain things that I've watched or you know certain things that I've been around mm-hmm. it's just been I've had no desire for it wonderful I felt I feel a lot better about, not about myself but I feel clean I feel whole yep. and you know, I tried talking to my mom about this. She's like, I don't get it. And I'm like, right. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm just like, okay, I'll, I'll explain it another day. Mm-hmm. She's like, well, do you like it? And I'm like, I love it. And she's like, well, that's all that really matters. And so mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that was easier, easier than I thought. But <laughs> since I've been practicing this and learning about Sri Prabhupada and then and also worshiping Krishna, the hole that I thought that would be gone after leaving Christianity, I thought, Okay, how am I gonna feel that? And honestly, I've had no problem with doing this. I feel more, I feel way more fulfilled than I did when I was a Christian. I haven't had anxiety. I haven't had nightmares, and I sleep peacefully at night. You know, usually I would have to take something, or you know. I'd have to smoke before I go to bed in order to sleep peacefully, but mm-hmm. now I don't have to do that anymore. Wonderful. And so, 
That's wonderful. You know, Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita that you cannot give up a lower taste unless you experience a higher taste. I don't desire meat anymore either. Mm -hmm. That's another so we all come from that same boat. Yeah. We were all doing that. Taking different intoxicants and you know, eating meat and doing all sorts of nonsense activities. Uh, like the other night I went out with a friend and I tried to drink. Like that, like I would like a scotch every now and again, but now the taste of scotch is just nasty. I'm like, that burns. I'm like, I don't like this. Yeah. He's like, you gonna stop drinking? I said, oh, I don't need no more. I'm like, mm -hmm. So that's what Krishna says. We are stuck. You know, and this is a really important point that you bring up because there's a lot of people, I'm sure we know personally know people who are addicted to substances, alcohol or drugs or whatever. And they even say, I want to give it up. Yeah. But they can't. Because you can't just go, I'm not going to do it anymore. You know? And you can't just, you know, through your intellect say, thou shalt not do such yeah. and such. Yeah. It doesn't work. Right. So Krishna says, no, 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 no. You don't just you know, renounce things, drop it like a hot potato. He tells Arjuna, the way you overcome lower tastes, lower habits, mm -hmm. is by experiencing a higher one. Right. Um, just, you know, to give some more, give it deeper. Like the other night, like, like I said, I smoked marijuana before, like, I threw it away. I didn't eat anymore. I just, mm -hmm. I never, like, I just didn't feel the desire to mm -hmm. touch it, you know, mm -hmm. just, it doesn't have the same appeal mm -hmm. that it used to, or certain things just don't, it doesn't matter, certain mm -hmm. things don't appeal to me anymore. I, I, I know a devotee, when she came, got into Krishna consciousness, she was into all sorts of stuff, you know, yeah. and she was into LSD, and she had like it comes on a little paper, right? So she had like a whole big sheet tabs. with little tabs, you know? And I, I guess it was supposed to be good stuff or whatever. But she got into Krishna consciousness and, you know, she knew I shouldn't do this anymore. I don't want to do it anymore is the real point. Not that it's not about I shouldn't do it, but I don't, I want to overcome this. So I said, you know what you should do? You should just like flush it down the toilet. Like, get rid of it. Because if you just put it in the garbage can, you might go an hour later and retrieve it. Or if you give it to a friend, you might go back and get it back, you know? So I was like, she'll just flush it down the toilet. And she was like, that's a good idea. So she actually did that. She actually flushed it down the toilet. Later, I thought, oh, the poor fish. <laughs> I, don't know where, I don't know what happened. I wasn't thinking like that before, you know? Anyway, so she literally flushed however much she had down the toilet and she cried and she said I cried because I felt liberated that this thing that was tying me down I just permanently got rid of it there's no turning back once it gets flushed down the toilet right, right so. <laughs> and she said she cried and she, you know, because she felt like liberated 
and she was, you know, never thought about it again. So that's the proof of the potency of Krishna. Just like, let's say you have an illness, you have a high fever, so you take medicine. You're high, you have like 106 fever or something. So now the doctor gives you some medicine, and you take it, and now it's 105. It's still high, but hey, at least it's going in the right direction. You don't want it to go above 106, because then when it hits 108, you die. So you're like, yay, it went down to 105. Then you take some more medicine, and the next day it's 104. Then it's 103, you're like, yay, it's getting reduced. So you know that medicine is working because your fever is getting reduced. And it's just a matter of time when it comes back to the normal body temperature. Your fever is gone. So like that, we know that we're actually connecting with God with Krishna because our material fever decreases. What's that material fever? The attachment to or the, the, the uncontrollable attraction to things that are making me like a prisoner. Right. They're controlling me. Intoxicants or harmful relationships or whatever. There's, there's a long list, right? So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so the test of the pudding is in the tasting. Nobody's meant to be a blind follower. You take the Hare Krishna mantra home. You study a little Bhagavad Gita every day, and you just see that material fever going down, and you feel liberated. Mm-hmm. Test of the pudding is in the tasting. See, uh, for certain things, I just haven't had desire. To yeah, the desire just goes away. Just like. It wasn't like a big deal, just like, uh-huh. I don't want to do this no more. Exactly. Yeah. We've all had that experience. It's so awesome, isn't it? The desire just goes away. You're like a different person. And then you realize, those desires aren't me. You know, we identify with our desires. Right. I want to be a movie star. I want to have $5 million. I want to hang out with these people. I want to go to that movie. I want to have that. Whatever, 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 whatever. But those desires aren't you, but we identify with them. Right now, we identify with them. So Krishna's telling Arjuna, be detached from the mind. Not just be detached from your wealth or your possessions. Be detached from your own mind. Don't own your thoughts and your desires. Because they're not you. And the proof is, you change your desire, you drop that desire, like, what? I don't want to do that. You just got to become unattractive. Exactly. Anybody else have something to share, or ask, or say, or add? Um, I already forgot your daughter's name. Valerie. Valerie! How could I forget? Um, yes, Valerie! I, when I, I went to the dentist and I took two teeth out. Really? You know what that means, Valerie? Thank you for bringing it up. This is a very important point. When did you go? When did you do that? The other day. Yesterday. Yesterday? Uh, what was yesterday? What day of the week? What's today? Is today Sunday? Is it? No. What, what's today? Did you go to school today? What's today, Ramadan? 
Today's Wednesday. So what was yesterday? If today's Wednesday, what was yesterday? Do we know? <laughs> what comes before Wednesday? Thursday. <laughs> Thursday comes right after Wednesday. So tomorrow will be Thursday. But what was yesterday? It also starts with a T. Tuesday. Yeah. Okay, one more question. What was the day before Tuesday? It starts with an M. Monday. Monday. Fantastic. The reason I did this is because this is a very important point Valerie brought up. On Tuesday, Valerie got two teeth removed from her body, from her mouth, from her body. But on Monday, she had those two teeth. So you know what that means? Valerie has a different body on Tuesday than she did on Monday. Uh, You're always changing your body. And um, the reason why I took those two teeth out is the reason is I have a, I have a new teeth coming in. Oh, good. It, it slipped back. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I understand. Fantastic. So we had to take out. Okay, so on Monday she had those two teeth. Tuesday the teeth are taken out, and on Wednesday two more teeth are coming in. The body is constantly. No, oh, one more, excuse me. The body is constantly changing. It's a different body, it's not the same body. Thank you for sharing, Valerie. Anybody else have something to share? Um, <laughs> I I have some curiosity around the spirit souls. Okay. Um, so everything material and that is all derives from Krishna, right? Like he just I I don't know how everything to emanates from Krishna. Did he start like dividing himself or just start like manifesting different parts of himself in different ways? And that's resulted in like the billions, trillions of spirit souls. Um, so is that related to like we are a drop of the ocean? Yeah, Prabhupada likes to use the example of the sun, S-U-N, a big ball of fire in the sky. From the sun emanates the sunshine. Yes. Now. Can you ever have a sun without sunshine? There's no meaning. Sun means that thing that has a glow to it. Can you have sunshine without sun? No. They both coexist. Can you have fire without heat and light? Obviously not. Can you have heat and light without fire? So the sun and the sunshine are inseparable and they're equally as old as each other. Mm. But ontologically, we say the sun is the source of the sunshine or the sunshine emanates from the sun or the sun is the source of energy. It's the energetic and the sunshine is the energy. Mm. Similarly, we use that mundane analogy uh, to understand that Krishna is compared to the sun 
the energetic source of everything. And we, the spirit souls and matter, are different energies that emanate from Krishna. It's not that, like you take a piece of paper and you split it up into little teeny tiny pieces of paper, now you no longer have that sheet of paper because it's all been dispersed into tiny, tiny, tiny confetti or something. Or you take a $100 bill and you take it to the bank and you break it into 10 $10 bills and spend, you know, the $100 bill's not there anymore. That sheet of paper's not there anymore. But Krishna, uh, from Krishna emanates all the souls and all the material energy, but he remains the complete whole. He's perfect and complete, so that even though all the perfect and complete units emanate from him, he still remains the complete whole. In other words, spiritual mathematics one minus one still equals one. So Krishna is the energetic source, and in Sanskrit it's called Shakti Man, and we are Shakti or energy. So is matter. There's so many Shaktis actually. I'm curious then how each spirit soul can be unique and different if we all come from the same source. Like outside of this body and we're on the other side. How is how are we unique and different from each other? From Just each like other? you might have ten children, they all come from your body. Or like twins. But they're I'm a, I'm an identical twin. Now thank you for bringing. I happen to be no. I have an identical twin sister. But how identical? I'm way more identical with her than I am with any of you. But still, we're unique. So you might have ten children. You know, same DNA, you know, whatever, whatever. But they're unique. You know why? Where does the uniqueness come from? Thank you for bringing up this question. Because take a hydrogen atom. Uh, it's exactly the same as another hydrogen atom, which is exactly the same as another hydrogen atom, which is exactly the same as another hydrogen atom. But souls are each unique for a reason. And you know what that is? Because they're persons. Their personalities. Souls are not just a bright light. Souls are persons. What does that mean, they're persons? It means that souls have will. You know, matter doesn't have will. I tell this microphone to turn off, it turns off. I tell it to turn on, it turns on. I tell this piece of wood to get flung over there, it gets flung over there. They don't have a will. But each individual soul has a will. And that's what makes us unique, is that we each have our own free will. It's kind of mind-blowing, because there's infinite number of souls, and they each have their unique, inherent personality which is covered by, right now, all this material stuff, you know. But self-realization ultimately means to come down to that naked soul, right, strip it down right to the naked soul. Is that okay? Anything else? No, thank you. And that's the beauty of it. 
Why do we have children? Well, a lot of people have children by accident, but why do we have children? They have somebody to exchange love with. Otherwise, you can just go buy a robot. There's a lot of really nice robots out there. You could buy a doll, right? A stuffed animal to play with. But we choose to have children because somebody to reciprocate love with. And we choose to have more than one child. We might have 10 children because you have a different flavor of love with each because they're all unique. We love each and every one of them equally, but they each have their individual flavor. Similarly, why are there an infinite number of unique souls? Because Krishna is the embodiment of ever-increasing perfect love. And the nature of love is that it wants to be shared. I can't say I love you if I'm just sitting here. Love is, a, love is not a noun, it's a verb, actually. Love is a verb. Love is a commodity or a currency that we exchange. I love you. There's an exchange. I can't say I love this piece of wood. There's no exchange. So the reason that there's an infinite number of unique souls is because Krishna's love is infinite. And he wants to share that love with others. So from Krishna emanates all the souls so that he can experience infinite exchanges of love. And that's when we'll be happy is when we exchange love with Krishna. That's what Krishna is inviting. Ultimately in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna brings Arjuna to that point. That Arjuna just exchanged love with me. That is your real identity and that's when you'll be most happy. So that's the invitation. It's, it's a love message, actually. It's a love story, actually, Bhagavad Gita. Right there on the battlefield. And it's not just spoken for Arjuna, it's spoken for all of us. It's Krishna's invitation. Okay, unless there's anything else. Prabhu, what's your name, Prabhu? Uh, I'm Jason. Jason, okay. Hi, Krishna. Hi, Krishna. We'll end with Jason's question. So, um, or comment. It's a question. So, uh, you're saying that Bhagavad Gita is a love story, and that, I think that's so beautiful. But uh, he talks about Arjuna doing his duty. So, uh, my question is, is doing our duty for Krishna the same as loving Krishna? That is. <sighs> Exactly. Oh, Krishna says Krishna says it doesn't matter what your occupation is, that you're a state warrior or you're a farmer or you're a professor or you're you know a cook. Whatever you do, do it for me. And that is love. Just like I bet you cook for Valerie, right? You feed her? I suppose you feed her, right? So mother is cooking for the child. That's an act of love. Now cooking is just, you know, you go like this with your hands and legs and you do this and you do that and you mix things. Wow. How's that love? No, you're doing it for that person. That is love. If you just go cook like in a commercial place, like as your job, 
cook 500 bread rolls. That's not love. But you do it for the person you love, that's love. So that's what Krishna's telling Arjuna. Make your work an act of love. You'll never be satisfied doing the same work for a salary or this or that. Make your work an act of love for Krishna because he's the reservoir of love. That's bhakti yoga. Bhakti yoga means to connect with Krishna through love and devotion. Active love and devotion. Okay, we'll stop there. Thank you very much. Thank you for all your wonderful comments and sharing. So we'll ask Nityananda Chandra Prabhu to tell us what the next part of the program is. Om Tat Sat. Thanks a lot. Hare Krishna. <laughs>